Our scripture passage this morning is Romans 12, 1 through 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with, blood, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Hey, uh... Many of you know um, Betty Putnam. Betty Putnam is one of our longtime members. Betty hasn't been able to be here in a very long time. She's at uh, Lindell. Um, she had a stroke, and she's really restricted to her chair and, uh, or to a wheelchair, can't walk on her own, and she's been alone for a, a, lot, of, a lot of time now. Uh, it was before COVID. So if you know her, she has a birthday this week on Thursday. I learned my lesson about telling the age of ladies last time I announced Texas' birthday. I will not make that mistake again. I'll just say she was born in the range of the 20s. <laughs> but if you know her, give her a call, drop her a note, um, stop by. She would love a visit. She, uh, her, in the, uh, her number's in our directory, so if you don't have it, it's a good way to get it. I know she'd be thrilled to hear from you. Even if you've never met her, just say, hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a member, fellow member of Southside Baptist Church, and I just want to say we love you and hope you have a great week. That'd be awesome. All right, let's pray. Father, we do pray for Betty and do pray for an encouraging week. Uh, she's just had such a, a long season, but honestly, her whole life has been hard, and she's been such an example of joyful faith. And we give you praise for that, and we pray that you would be near her this week, that she would be encouraged and built up in her faith, and that even in the midst of a really hard circumstance, that her hope would be strong, that her love for the Lord Jesus Christ would continue to increase, and that you would continue to conform her to the image of Jesus. God, we pray for Southside Baptist Church, and we pray for our love for one another, that you would continue to grow in us a love for one another, and we pray for our unity, that you would continue to grow a unity among us. And would you cause us to glory in our salvation. Would you renew in us the joy of salvation? You've transformed us and transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. 
Would your grace train us to renounce ungodliness? And would we wait with eager expectation for the return of the Son and the righting of all wrongs, the renewal of all things? And God, would you produce in us a burden for those who don't know you, a burden for the lost that would cause us to act and pray and proclaim you and share our faith? Give us the eyes of Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our hobbies. I want to pray for one of our missionary partners, Lindsay, as they just finished some training of some brothers uh, on the doctrines of justification and sanctification who will be going to some very hard places. And we pray that you're the teaching of your word and the glorious doctrine of justification that we can never earn our righteousness, but through Jesus Christ we've been granted righteousness, that that would be fuel for their labor. And that by your spirit you would continue to sanctify them. And sanctify us in the truth as Jesus prayed. Your word is truth. We pray this. Through the strong name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Spirit, ever one God. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in week seven, our final week in this series we've called Membership Matters. And it's one of those series where it's pretty rare and that it's really helpful, especially if you're already a member here or considering being a member, of listening to the whole series. It's sort of a package. All seven really go together, and one really on its own doesn't give you the full picture of where we're trying to go with this series. So I encourage you to check out our website, our YouTube channel, podcast, whatever means you like to listen by. And if things aren't clear for you yet, seven sermons later, please, either way, please come tonight at five o'clock if you're a member. It'll be a very encouraging time. Some of my favorite times are Sunday nights. And uh, come with any questions. And again, we'll sing, answer questions, and then pray for one another. Let me remind you where we've been. Where we've been is all very countercultural, sadly, even in the church, unfortunately. But one of our core values as a church is that we are to be ruled by God's word. In week one, we showed what makes Baptists different from every other denomination. We believe that the church should consist only of believers. Obviously, we welcome anyone in this room, but in terms of joining the church, one must be a believer. Historically, that's been called regenerate church membership. I've mostly called it meaningful membership in the series. Week two was on church leadership. God's will for his church is to be led by a plurality of spiritually qualified male elders Week three was on what we called congregationalism. Jesus, our Lord, has given the church, the assembled congregation, he has entrusted with the responsibility of letting people in and removing people from membership. We mostly focused on Matthew 18 for that sermon. Week four was on church discipline, and we looked at the church in Corinth where Paul instructed the local church on how to handle unrepentant and outward sin in the congregation. And he writes to the gathered church in 1 Corinthians 5. He doesn't write to the elders and he doesn't write to the staff. And he tells them if someone will not turn from their sin and they continue to go against the way of Jesus, that they are to remove such a one from their fellowship. Then week five was on building a culture of discipleship in the local church from Ephesians chapter 4. Saw that Jesus is the head of the church who gives elders, it's a gift he gives, who then are called to equip the members to exercise the keys of the kingdom through meaningful membership, discipleship, and discipline. It's every member ministry. It's making the church about the church and less about the leaders, which is the New Testament model. 
Last week, we looked at the mission of the church and God's heart for the nations and our call to be promoting the gospel and representing Jesus wherever we go. And the aim of all this is a strong family of faith. The aim of all this is a meaningful local church. The aim of all this is a strong church, a healthy church. Max Stiles, whom we had in to speak at the Abilene Theology Conference, says this. He says, by a healthy church, I mean a cross-focused, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-drenched church of baptized believers covenanted together to care for each other in gospel love as a display of God's glory under the leadership and teaching of the elders who studiously practice the commands of the Bible for the church. I love that definition. And so this morning, I want to wrap up the series, sort of a summary sermon, not a typical sermon that we have. If you're visiting here, our normal mode of operation is just to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. So that's what we'll resume the gospel of Matthew chapter eight next week. But this week will be sort of a capstone wrapping up where we've been by looking at the job description of a church member. Ever had a job where it just wasn't clear what you were called to do? Job descriptions can be very helpful matters. So as a matter of summarizing where we've been, being a member of a church is not like being a member of Sam's. It's not like being a member of a country club. We're not passive consumers, but active contributors. We're a priesthood. We believe in the priesthood of every believer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. All called to ministry and all called to building up the church, which is our fundamental priestly work. So membership, we ought to see as a job. Jesus has given every Christian a job, a task, a role in his body. And again, the job of the elders is to train you for your job. We don't do the ministry. We train you for the ministry. Some of you may have had fathers who showed you the ropes, really trained you how to do things around the house. Others, you may have had fathers that just did it themselves. They were they lacked the patient to really train you, so they just did it. But well, we want to be the first kind of fathers. Members have a job, and the elders are to train you for it. One author uses the illustration of a physical trainer. Think of one trainer who does all the workouts all by himself. He's over there by himself pumping iron. He tells everybody to bring lawn chairs and just watch from a distance. Another trainer does the workout, but then he hands the barbells over. To the class. He models and then he gives it to the class and he goes around and he coaches and he corrects and he gives feedback to the class. Now, which class is going to be stronger? Which class will be more fit? Elder led congregationalism is the elders training and equipping the congregation to exercise the keys of the kingdom and build the church through a culture of discipleship and on mission together. So what we want, we want to move from mature, from being, we want to mature from consumers to contributors, passive to active. And so the job description, 15 marks of a church member. Don't worry, they'll be mostly brief. 15 marks. I want to say the, the task and then give you kind of a verse that goes with it. First task is to guard the gospel. 
Guard the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing we have, and we're called to guard it. The gospel, if you don't know, we like to use four hooks to speak of the gospel. God, man, Christ response. God is our creator. He's holy. He's loving. But there's a problem when he creates us because we're not holy. We start that way. We're created good. We're created in the image of God, but we quickly go our own way. And so we're sinful. If God is holy and we are sinful, there's a problem. But thank God he doesn't leave us in our sin. He sends Jesus Christ. It's the point of the good news is that Jesus comes and lives perfectly in a way that we couldn't. And he dies a death in our place. He dies the death that we all deserve to die. That's great news. It's the best news in the world, but left there, it's not good news. We must respond. God, man, Christ, response. What's our response to be? Believing in Jesus and turning from our sin. Faith and repentance. That's the, the heart of the gospel message. And you are called to guard it. Galatians chapter one, maybe you remember Galatia, Paul had planted the church, things were going well and these false teachers came in and notice Paul writes the letter to the church of Galatia. Listen to what he says, verse six, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, to you let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be Accursed. These are some of the most shocking verses in, in on the whole Bible. I mean, just picture this. Here I am, I'm teaching you that you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. And the Apostle Paul comes in, says, Yeah, you know, that Pastor Blake, forget what he says. It's actually grace plus works. What does Paul tell you to do? Curse him. Let him be accursed. He says, even if we Come back. Or an angel. Get this. Here I am preaching the gospel of grace and an angel busts through the ceiling and sits right here and says, don't listen to that pastor. I've got another message. He's got it wrong. It's justification by faith plus works. What you should you do to the angel? Curse him. Isn't that astonishing? You know why? Because Christianity is not about personalities and it's not about experiences. It's about a message. They were saved by grace through faith. And here he writes to you. He writes to the church, guard the gospel. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they, the people, will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So part of your job is to not become one of those types of people. But people who do endure sound teaching, people who take the gospel seriously. Jude chapter 3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You, church, are to contend for the faith, that means you need to know the gospel. It means you need to study the gospel. It means you need to learn sound doctrine. This is every member. This isn't just for the leaders. As First Timothy and Second Timothy say, guard the deposits entrusted to you. Number two, make disciples. 
saw this a couple weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 4, one of the, my favorite passages on the church. We saw that there Jesus, the ascended Lord, gives leadership, shepherd and teachers to the church. And here's why. Here's the purpose. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, every Christian building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, all of us to one another, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, mature, so that it builds itself up in love. Every member ministry, and we won't grow until we're there. Each member called to this work, each member called to build the church, to pursue unity, to speak the truth in love. Each member should care about and pray for and act towards the spiritual growth of other members. We are disciples who make disciples. Third, disciple your kids if you have them. If not, help parents disciple their kids. Come alongside them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Notice what he says. There's one God, really, really fundamental commandment. There's one God. You're to love him with everything you are. And you're to do everything in your power to help your kids love him with everything they are. And notice the means by which that's going to happen. By saturating them with the word of God. When you walk, when you rise, when you lie, speaking the word all the time. Week one, six or seven weeks ago of this series was all about the Baptist mark of the church. The church is to consist of believers only, a regenerate church membership. Now, some of you are from different traditions, and as you know, different traditions will baptize babies and bring them into the church. We don't do that as Baptists, but that does not mean we do not value children. Oh, quite the contrary. It's actually because we do value them that we won't baptize them as babies before they've professed faith. New Testament is crystal clear that we are saved by faith, believing in Jesus. And once we have faith, then we have the symbol. Then we are baptized, symbolizing being buried with Christ and raised with Christ. And so with everything we have, we desire our kids to come to faith, to believe, which is why we lace the gospel in everything we do. And I hope you're doing the same at home. So if you have kids, share the gospel, disciple and fathers. You initiate this. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fourth, pray for one another. James 5, 16, pray for one another. Pray for your fellow members 
of the church. Two main ways to do that. One, if you're a member, again, grab a membership directory. If you don't have one at home, use it every day. It's, it's numbered based upon days of the month, and there's about eight members per day. Pray through it every day. Today's the third. Pray for the third. And that way you can get to know people as well and maybe drop them a text. Hey, prayed for you. Or, hey, how can I pray for you? We're so encouraged when we get those types of texts. Hey, prayed for you today. Today's your day. So pray. Proactively pray for one another. Second way is by coming to our first Sunday night service of the month. So every first Sunday of the month, tonight's the night, five o'clock, a significant portion of what we're going to do together is actually just have corporate prayer. Praying for the needs of the church. Fifth, love one another. John chapter 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 3, 14, we know, listen to this. How did we know we're a Christian? We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. One of the main fruits of genuine Christians is they love the church. Love is giving of self for the good of another. Love is considering their needs is more important than my own. Love is desiring and helping other people follow Jesus. Helping move them from wherever they are to where Jesus wants them. And love is truthful. Love is love today. Love means nothing. But in the Bible, love is also truthful. Love does not give false assurance. That's actually unloving. So if one of our members is straying from the truth or straying from Jesus, it's loving to pursue them. It's loving to exhort them. We love the wanderer by not letting them continue to wander. Don't let them think they're okay if they're wandering away from the Lord. That's not loving. They're self-deceived. And so we're called to the church to do our part to not let that happen. Church membership is really nothing more than committed love. And formal church membership precedes genuine love. I know this is a little bit counter-cultural. It's certainly counter-church cultural. Churches that try to make it just really easy as possible, however we can get the most people in, they actually end up having weak and shallow community, inauthentic community. Some of you have been there. There really is no authentic community without formal commitment to a specific people. A church that downplays formal commitment will end up having shallow relationships because love thrives on commitment. And a church that just tries to attract people as consumers will be consumeristic. And consumerism is acid to true community. Just think about it. What is consumer? Consumerism. Consumers just come to have their needs met. They don't come to meet needs. They come with a focus on themselves, not with a focus on others. That's the opposite of love. And as soon as their personal preferences are violated, they're gone. Rather, true loving community comes through commitment being front-loaded. It's the same with marriage, isn't it? This is a long quote, but I think it's helpful. Listen to Tim Keller talk about this same scenario when it comes to marriage. When the Bible speaks of love... It measures it primarily not by how much you want to receive, consumer, but how much you're willing to give of yourself to someone, contributor. How much are you willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much of your freedom are you willing to forsake? 
How much of your precious time, emotion, and resources are you willing to invest for this person? And for that, the marriage vow is not just helpful, it's even a test. In so many cases, when one person says to another, I love you, but let's not ruin it by getting married, that person really means I don't love you enough to close off all my options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you that thoroughly. To say I don't need a piece of paper to love you is basically to say my love for you has not reached the marriage level. It's the same with church membership. Love does not avoid commitment. Love does not evade commitment, but grows and flourishes with commitment to a specific people. And love is to be the hallmark of the church. Say more about that in a minute. Number six, represent Jesus together. Hebrews 12 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So pursue holiness, represent Jesus well. Don't just be a Sunday morning Christian. Those really don't exist. We worship Jesus in all of life and together we corporately reflect him and our corporate witness matters. Number seven of the job description, promote the gospel, the great commission, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We have all we need for the, for the mission. The one who has all authority is with us as we go. Therefore, all authority is with us. What else could we need? And so proclaim Jesus, share your faith, tell people about the Lord. We are committed to missional living. As members, we're on mission together. Number eight, exercise the keys. And if you've got your Bible in front of you, you can turn with me to this one. It's just so important. Matthew chapter 16. It's where we spent a lot of time in week three, but I want to reiterate it. This is Jesus's marching orders. You know, Jesus only used the word church twice, and here we are. Therefore, these verses we're about to read are the most important thing Jesus Christ ever said about the church. They should be weighty, often neglected. Matthew 16, verse 15. Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you plural as representative of the disciples, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Flip over a couple pages to Matthew 18. Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter representing the apostles. But here in chapter 18, he hands it over to the church in this church discipline passage. But it's really important to notice the context. We won't read it, but look at 18 verse 10. What's it about? It's about the parable of the lost sheep. And when there's a lost sheep, we should leave the 99 and go after the lost one. It's a really economically foolish decision. 
But our father cares about the wandering sheep, not about the bottom line. This is the posture. We go after wandering sheep. And then the passage we're about to look at in 15 to 20, but then notice verse 21. It's that famous passage about Jesus saying, well, Lord, do I forgive them seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Couched in in reconciliation and forgiveness and pursuit. So look what Jesus says in 18 verse 15. Gives us a really clear pattern and process to follow. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Praise God. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the elders. Tell it to the church staff. Tell it to the home group. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, as an unbeliever. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you, sound familiar, bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So the church exercises the keys by admitting and removing members from the church. It's what Jesus says. This is our job. Not the elders or the staff, but the church. 1 Corinthians 5, that was week 4, I believe. Spent the whole sermon there where Jesus, Paul commands the assembled congregation to remove them from the fellowship if they will not turn from their sin. If there's this continual, willing, outward, significant, unrepentant sin, church discipline must happen. And we talk a lot about excommunication when we think about discipline, but there's so much more. Because really, excommunication should be really, really few and far between. But church discipline is so much more than that final step. There's formative discipline and corrective discipline. Formative discipline is actually more important, and it's happening all the time, even right now at this church. It's that ongoing care for one another. It's the one another's. It's, it's like exercise and diet, where corrective discipline is like heart surgery. Corrective discipline is excommunication, but formative discipline is helping one another follow Jesus. It's just ordinary church members helping ordinary church members. One author says, ordinary church members must Address each other's sin. That's what Jesus just said about the church in Matthew 18. It's a commandment. Churches are so weak and unhealthy because we refuse to do this work that Jesus calls us to. And we all need it. Discipline is just helping one another grow in Christ's likeness by correcting sin. And we need to be careful when we go and we need to be humble when we go and discreet, wise, Gentle, listen to Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you ever been there? You have. What's the solution when you get caught, when you get entrapped, when you get ensnared? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is your call, church. 
And as we help one another follow, we're to be wise, we're to be gentle, we're to be led by the Spirit, and we're to keep a watch on ourselves because we're no better, and we've been there. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Notice the different strategies for different sins. This body life, this meaningful membership is so, so important for healthy churches. But again, sadly, so neglected. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Could ask right now, do you know anybody that started strong? in the Christian journey and has fallen away. And without hesitation, every one of you can come up with at least one name. Someone who has fallen away, it happens. What's one of the means by which God has given us not to fall away? Each other. Look at the next verse. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Meaningful membership is about the perseverance of the saints. It's about dying well. It's about covenanting with a specific group of people to promote the gospel, represent Jesus, and help one another follow the Lord and finish well. That's all formative discipline. But sometimes corrective discipline is needed. And the goal is always repentance, restoration, reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 5 5 that his soul may be saved at the day of the Lord. And so as we do this job of exercising the keys and practicing church discipline, we promote holiness in the church. Remember Paul, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, remove the leaven, purge the evil from among you, 1 Corinthians 5, 12. So discipline promotes holiness in the church and it acts as a, as a prophylactic against sin. Exercise great self-restraint on not doing ivermectin jokes at this point. But it's a prophylactic. It's an effective one. It removes the particular sin. And it underscores the evil of sin. And it produces conviction of sin. And it demonstrates the seriousness with which the church will stand against unrepentant sin. Listen to the way William Johnson put it. William Johnson was the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so listen to what he says. He says, he's talking about church discipline. He says, the exclusion of a delinquent by the church should be regarded by both as a solemn and awful measure, having for its object the recovery of the former from his error and the firmer establishment of the latter in the ways of righteousness. This is the way Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20, the Bible is so counter-cultural. As for those who persist in sin, and that's the key. Again, we all sin. All Christians battle sin and we will till the day we die. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not the presence or absence of sin. It's how we respond to it. Christians hate it. Christians fight it. Christians repent of it. Christians take God's side against it. Non-Christians don't care. Paul says it's for those who persist in sin. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So exercise the keys. Number nine, Practice hospitality. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
Get to know one another. You know, our church has had a lot of transition. We've had a lot of new members in the last several years. And so there's still a sense in which we don't know one another super well. It's one of the reasons we want you coming in the evening, hanging out, coming early, staying late. But another way is just to be hospitable. Contact a member. You know what? We haven't met. Let's get coffee. Let's get lunch. Maybe you make a goal. Have one family over every six months, something like that. Maybe you're good with crockpots. Start it on Sunday morning. You meet somebody. Hey, you want to come over and grab lunch? We got soup, paper bowls. Get to know you. We will announce new member candidates. Pursue them. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love how the Spirit includes those couple words there, without grumbling, because it just shows us that the tendency, the temptation will be that we grumble about it. It's not easy, but we're called to it. 10, follow your leaders, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So love and submit to particular leaders. Again, these verses are for all Christians, and if they're not members of a local church, which leaders are they called to submit to? That's why it's dangerous to be outside of the membership of a local church. But when you join, you know then which leaders you are to follow, and you're called here to follow them in such a way that it gives them joy. One of your goals as a member ought to be for the leadership to not make us groan. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. But with joy, and ultimately that's for your advantage. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Follow your leaders. Number 11, serve one another. And we talk about serve, there's really two ways. There's a broader category of serving is where we just want to do one another spiritual good. It's really no different than discipleship. We want to help one another follow the Lord. You can serve in a host of informal ways, but then there is a more formal way of meeting specific needs in the local church. 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Serve one another. If you're a member, if you're on a newsletter, a weekly email newsletter, this week we had this get in the game form. So if you want to take a next step, that's an easy way to do it. Are you serving the church? Serve the next generation. We've got kids all over this place. We love it. We take it really seriously. So serve the next generation. We're constantly needing people in the nursery and substitutes for the nursery. So if you're not on the nursery rotation, let me encourage you to consider it. Serving once every two months be a huge blessing to us. And it really is one of the easiest places to do evangelism. It's one of the main places in our church where you've got a whole lot of mostly unbelievers together, captive audience that you get to share the gospel. It's one of our core values. We serve one another. Number 12, give. Jesus tells us to have the long view when it comes to possessions. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also most insightful teaching one of the most insightful teachings jesus gives you say, you know what i'm here this whole membership meaningful whatever i'm not really into it i maybe i want to i wish i had more of a heart for the lord well jesus tells you here how to get it Where your treasures go, your heart follows. Give to the local church, give to the kingdom, give to missions, and your heart will follow. 
And in maybe the only place God ever says, test me, Malachi 3, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We give, we give sacrificially. Number 13 on the job description. Guard the unity of the church. Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all, through all, and in all. That's Ephesians 4 at the beginning. Remember, I just read from Ephesians 4 in the middle a while ago, and one of the things we're to do with one another as we're equipped is to work towards maturity until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Unity is so important in the local church. And we've done so well. I'm so proud of y'all of how we've handled COVID with such differences of opinion in this congregation. Yet we keep the main thing the main thing. 2021 is a hard time to maintain unity. And y'all have done awesome. And we need to continue to do so. It's so important. And it's not unity for unity's sake. It's unity around the truth. And when someone disrupts that unity around the truth, especially, we're to be dead serious about it. As a church, listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Listen to this. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Guard unity. 14, attend. Probably the easiest and most basic one, but also maybe the most important part of the job description. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Friends, more than ever, we need to hear this warning. We need to gather and we need to stir one another up, attend so that we'd use our gifts and to build up the body and really... If you don't attend, you really can't do any of the other 13 marks we're talking about, can you? And so prioritize our meetings. Prioritize our Sunday night meetings only once a month. First Sunday, just mark them off, 5 o'clock. A person can't do his job if he doesn't show up at the office, right? And so come. One time there was an old man, he was deaf and blind. Deaf and blind, but he constantly insisted, someone come pick me up, someone come pick me up. I want to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't want to be there. And someone asked him, look, you can't hear anything, can't see anything. Why do you insist on coming? And he said, I just want people to know whose side I'm on. <laughs> and 15, covenant with one another. So how do we practically implement all these marks? Through a covenant, a church membership covenant, a formal commitment. 
We want true and authentic community, and this is the way. And so today we're adopting an adapted, really a new church membership covenant, not that different than the one we've had before. And historically, again, what I keep saying in this series is this may be new to you, but trust me, there's nothing new here. This is all old school, historic Baptist practice. Historically, three documents have been really important for strong churches. Your confession of faith, what do you believe about God? Your church membership covenants, and your bylaws, which is how we make decisions under the hood. So back in the 1600s, this is how new Baptist churches would form. They would covenant together. They've been covenanting together for 300 years. Listen to Benjamin Keach in the 17th century. He says that a church is a congregation of godly Christians who at a stated assembly, being first baptized upon profession of faith, do by mutual agreement and consent give themselves up to the Lord and to one another according to the will of God. Our confession, Baptist Faith and Message 2000, says this, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous, meaning self-ruling, no one tells us what to do, no outside body tells us what to do. We're an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenants in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. So our church confession, it's, it's vertical. What we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God. Our church covenant, it's horizontal. The emphasis is on conduct rather than doctrine. A church covenant defines us really what is a church member. It also helps preserve regenerate church membership. Our confession and our covenant is really how we maintain love and unity, which are so important to the Lord. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know we're disciples by how we love one another. Love. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. It's a high priestly prayer. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus is praying for us here who've believed through the word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me Isn't that incredible our unity shows that the father sent the son how do we maintain love through a church covenant how do we maintain unity through a church confession one's vertical one's horizontal Mark Dever says that church covenants are a clear ground of unity, a tool of teaching, a fence from the worldly who would erase such distinction, or the divisive who would narrow them. And so I want to read this together. It's a historic church covenant. It's adapted from a guy named J. Newton Brown that he wrote it up in 1853. We've added the core values of our church. But what's cool about this church covenant is that thousands and thousands and thousands of Baptists have used a very similar church covenant to do life together to maintain love and unity. I want to close by reading it. Having been brought 
by the free grace of God to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit ourselves to his gracious lordship and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another. We worship Jesus in all of life. In all we do, we will aim to glorify and enjoy the God of our salvation, from whom and through whom and to whom are all things to him be the glory forever. We are ruled by God's word. We will not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, but we'll prioritize corporate worship, treasuring our church's weekly opportunity to sing the word, pray the word, hear the word, and see the word displayed in the ordinances. We are disciples who make disciples. By grace, we commit to obey King Jesus and help move others from wherever they are to where the Lord wants them, submitting every area of their lives to his leadership. We are in authentic community. We will work and pray for the unity of the church. We will walk together in Christian love, exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonishing and encouraging one another as occasion may require. We're committed to missional living. We will seek to proclaim and adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ before our family, friends, and neighbors. We will endeavor to bring up our children as well as any others under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We serve the church. We commit to use our God-given gifts for the building up of the church. With humility and gentleness, patience and love, we will be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. We will not neglect to pray for one another. We will carry each other's burdens, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. We give sacrificially. We will work together for the advancement of the gospel through Southside Baptist Church as we prayerfully support its leadership and contribute cheerfully and generously to the work of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel, both to our neighbors and the nations. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with a like-minded church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that lays out how you want your church ordered. You haven't left us in the dark. You haven't left us in the blind, but you have given us instructions for how we are to behave in your households. We're so thankful that we're there as a church. And we trust that as we align our life with your will and your word, you will bless us. And so we ask for it, that you would bless our ministries, that we would see people come to faith, that children would repent and believe on the regular, that we would have baptism after baptism, that we'd be mobilizing people for the nations. Would you build in us a love for the gospel, a love for the church, and a love to help one another have the same love? Give us a burden for one another. Help us to find our fundamental joy in helping others grow spiritually. At the end of the day, what we need is a love for Jesus and internal mindset. So would you give that to us? Be honored as we close out in worshiping you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.